If you turn to John chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 15. Great study. We, we didn't actually plan on being in this particular passage. It is where we are in the Word of God. And so I believe the Lord has a message for us here from chapter 6. When storms come. It is not an if proposition for the body of Christ, for us who are believers, for anyone actually on this earth. It is not a matter of if storms will come. It is a matter of when storms come for all of us. You're going to go through storms in your life. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. You're going to have your faith tested. And in fact, when you look at this particular passage of Scripture, and as we will look at the companion passages in both Matthew and Mark, this is really the exam that is happening after they've been given this picture that happens at the feeding of the multitude. And the exam is this. Do you actually believe it? You see, it doesn't matter whether I have faith or not. It matters whether you have faith. I cannot have faith for you. No one can have faith for you. Even Jesus can't have faith for you. Faith you must possess yourself. And for that faith to be meaningful, it needs to be tested periodically so that it is not simple knowledge. It isn't mental assent. You haven't just believed a set of things, but you have faith to believe that God is who He says He is, can do what he says he can do, and will do it in your storm. I can't live your storm for you. You have to live that storm. And they will come. Would you pray with me? We'll pick up in verse 15. Father, thank you for the incredible power of your word to speak into our lives in this day and time. These events happened some 2,000 years ago on the Sea of Galilee. And yet for us today, they're as if this is our life being revealed before us, before you. And pray that you would minister now to us, strengthen us to hear your truth. Encourage us, Lord, as we begin this new year, as we say goodbye to 2017 and hello to 2018. Lord, would we be people of faith who will go anywhere into any storm because we know you are there with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 15, John chapter 6, And therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now remember, Scripture had told uh, an a absolute plethora of things that needed to occur uh, before Jesus would be anointed king, and chief among them is a prophecy in Zechariah in chapter 9 where he would actually be coming into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, and that hasn't happened, so he's not ready to be crowned king yet. There's some time, there's some things that are going to happen, and and of course he's going to go to the cross and be wrongfully tried and all of those things, so he is not ready to be crowned king, even though some of the people are beginning to see that, that he is Messiah, that he is the one who is the promised one. Verse 16 says, And now when evening came... His disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went over towards Capernaum. We'll look at a map here in a little bit, but this is all on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
Uh, it is the widest part of the sea. That sea is some 13 miles long. It's actually a lake and about 8 miles wide. Uh, they're at the northern end, and, and it is the place where most of the people actually live. It's also where the River Jordan enters into the Sea of Galilee. And so they're going to get in the boat, and it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. And the sea arose because of the great wind that was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. And in order to get the full picture here, we're also going to look at Matthew's gospel. If you'll turn there to chapter 14, and then put a finger in Mark chapter 6, because some additional details are given. When people bring up this point that these stories differ, that's exactly what you would expect from eyewitness accounts viewing these events from their own personal perspective and the things that they saw and remembered. And so this is actually a point of authenticity. It is not a point of contradiction. So Matthew adds some additional details, as does Mark, even though these are both the same incident. Verse 22 in Matthew 14, And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So here's another one of those little differences. Jesus commanded them to get in a boat. It wasn't a mistake. Jesus was not taken aback by the storm. He didn't look at what was going on and, and say, well, you know, uh, you know, maybe you guys should go somewhere. He had a test for them. And we're going to look at this in a moment. You run into storms for two chief reasons. One is, you're a knucklehead. <laughs> the other is, God plans them for you. There are storms that are caused by him, and there are storms that are caused by you. Those are the two types of storms. And this is one where Jesus knowingly and willingly places the disciples right into the teeth of a storm. And so they got into the boat, and he, he got in to go before them, and they went to, with the multitude to the other side as he sent them away. And when he had sent the multitude away... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and now when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And now about the fourth watch of the night, so it's the near midnight, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! How little faith we can have at times. Amen? They had just witnessed the feeding of 5,000 people. They had seen the Master do an amazing thing, and yet uh, they had already left that wonderful place of faith and gone to that place where we often go, which is fear. A lack of faith. A place where we, we let the enemy get into our heads. We, we let him dig in and think that we're alone again. Jesus was very clear, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, says the Lord. You may think it at times, but it's simply not true. He is with you in every storm. Whether you caused it, or he caused it. 
And so he's walking on the scene. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And this is the place where Peter now uh, walks out on the water to meet him. So there's the difference in Matthew's gospel. You can read the rest of it later. You, you see, this is a picture of you and I. Yes, it's the disciples. But in this boat are all of the disciples. Each one of them has their own place of faith. Each one of them has their own way that they see these things. Each one of them is struggling to comprehend and to know what it is that the Lord is allowing in their life. And Peter jumps out on the water and he immediately begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. You've you got to love Peter. He's bold enough to take the first step, but the second step... Well, Lord's left me now. Anybody ever had that experience in your life? You're bold enough to take the first one, but the second one, oh, no way. He's abandoned me for sure. I'm going down. This is such a beautiful picture of us. It's a picture of me. Mark chapter 6, turn there if you would. And again, I want to encourage you, read these passages in their fullness. And immediately, again, it says, He made His disciples get into the boat, so He repeats that. And now pick up in verse 48, And He saw them straining at rowing. How many of you have replaced faith with straining at rowing? One of my favorite things to do. Lord, You've obviously abandoned me, so I will just take control right now. Isn't this us? God's been faithful in our lives, and we're just like, okay, well, you left me out here to die, so I'm just going to strain away. And God lets us strain at times. He lets us row. He lets us work up a sweat. He lets us get into the middle of the storm, because that's where we see Him. That's how we see Him. It's this beautiful place where your straining becomes His strength. Because He says, Jeff, you've run out of strength, haven't you? Let me step in because I have unlimited amounts of it. I got this. And again, Jesus walks out and they think he's a ghost again. It can't be. It's not him. You, you just have to love the response because this is how we see things. Lord, I can't imagine how you left me in this financial situation. I can't imagine that, that this job that I've had, that I thought I was going to retire from, it's gone now. Uh, Lord, why would you allow me to get cancer? God, my wife, my husband, why, why would they ever say this? Why would they ever do this? Why are my children going sideways? How am I going to pay these taxes? You see storms come in a lot of different ways. Some of you, literal storms. I've been caught in a couple of those. Or it's like, oh boy, this plane's going down. You see, he went into the boat with them and the wind ceased. He was with them. But the moment he got in with them, the wind ceased. When, when they got together, when you get together with Jesus... That's when your storm is going to take a whole new direction. Let's look at this passage. 
course Jesus knew that the storm was coming. Amen? The problem wasn't Jesus. The problem wasn't the storm. The problem was the disciples. The disciples had begun to rest and trust in their own understanding, their own mental knowledge. They're watching all this happen. So you can almost imagine in their mind, they're going, well, the next group of people, we'll just get the fish ourselves and we'll do it. You can almost imagine their plotting, their work that they're going through to kind of see this particular problem. It's like, okay, well, we now know how to do that. Anybody ever been caught a second or a third or a fourth time by the same storm? Yeah. You know what the common thing is? I thought I could do it with my own strength. That's why I got into that storm that second, the third, the fourth, the tenth, the 250th time. Sometimes we're, we're not that bright when it comes to storms. Sometimes we're on the knucklehead side. It's like we do the same thing, we expect a different result, we have classic... Einstein insanity. Like, no, God's going to let you keep going that direction until you cry out and say, oh, Lord, unless you fix this, it's not going to get fixed. And then you rest in what he does. It's only God who knows the why of every storm. You know the what. You, You can pick out what's going on. You can understand the storm, but most of the time we do not know the exact why of the storm. But God does. Jesus does. And it is so amazing that through those storms, and and, and I have to tell you, it is almost without exception, the storms of my own personal life have been the places where I have grown the most. That's when I take that next step of faith. That's when you will take that next step of faith. It's not until your ship is going down that very often you reach out and say, God, I can't do this. Please help me. And you need Him to do what you can't do. You see, too often we confuse faith with just simple effort on our own part. So God puts us into situations that we cannot handle. It's an impossibility. And that's the picture here in this story. And how much character is built in your life? How much character is built in your life when you go through the storms? How much dependence comes to you when you go through the storms? Amen? There, there are storms in my... I, I had a situation about seven years ago I'm the director at Calvary Chapel Christian Camp. I'm pastoring Calvary Chapel Running Springs. I'm the international director of the Bible College in Brazil. I'm in Brazil. I'm teaching two weeks, two full classes. I'm going to teach 36 times in two weeks. I'm insane. And the reason I'm telling you, there's a point to this. I'm about halfway through the second week. And I have a heart attack. I am in Brazil, in the middle of pretty much nowhere, because Brazil is a very large country with very few people in most of it. Our facility where we have it is in a little town called Campo Moral. And in Brazil, they call hospitals places you go to die. 
because the government health care system there, you think ours has got some problems? So they take me to a concierge hospital. The wheelchair is a plastic lawn chair with wheels screwed to the side of it. I am rolled into a room that is white walls, white floor, all tile, with an iron veterinarian's table in it. I'm placed on the table. By then, the medication that I had taken was kind of, sort of, starting to work. And so the nurses come in. Mind you, I'm 8,000 miles from my wife. I do not speak fluent Portuguese. And they come in. I am an EMT, by the way. So I kind of know how to do EKGs and those types of things and how to put a main line inside. I don't know how to do those things. The nurses come in and they roll in a crash cart. For those of you that don't know, it's an EKG machine and along with paddles and all that kind of stuff. I'm going, oh, this is not good. I do know enough Portuguese to know that they don't have a clue how to use it. I am now telling them where the patches go on my chest so that we'll actually get an EKG that someone can read. They then put a line in me, start to give me medication, and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do now? Here's where it gets great. Call's been made to my wife. She calls my good friend, Dr. Bramson, who is my doctor at the time, who happens to be Jewish, who has a Jewish friend who, guess what, lived for 20 years in Brazil. So he calls to Israel, talks to Dr. Yehuda, who calls to Brazil and tells them how to save my life. That's not something you plan. Now, I don't know to this day how bad that heart attack was, but I know when you're lying on a veterinarian's table after you've been pushed in in a lawn chair, it's not looking good for you. It was a storm. That storm led to me being here. That's how it happened. God said, Jeff, you need to slow down. So what do I do? I call Pastor Chuck. Chuck, I can't do all this stuff anymore. I'm going to step aside. I'm going to focus on pastoring Calvary Chapel Running Springs. Had no idea how that was going to work out. But it freed me up to hear the voice of the Lord. So that storm in Brazil, which I honestly wasn't sure I was going to see my wife again, my children again, I didn't know how God was going to work it out because they told me you can't fly for at least a year. That storm was what God used to get my attention because I'm dumb enough to pastor a church and direct a youth camp and be an international director of a Bible college. You see, my, my faith was in what I could do. Maybe some of you suffer from that same malady. God knows the why of every storm. And nobody, family of God, no one is exempt from them. 
Sometimes you go through storms because you disobeyed. Jonah's an example of that. Jonah ends up in a storm because he was disobedient, amen? God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach the good news to them. And he says, no, because if I go there, they'll get saved. That's disobedience. And he spent some time in the belly of a fish because of it. He was in a real storm. But there's a lot of people in Scripture that went through storms because they were doing the work of the Lord. And honestly, my own experience has been some of the storms, the worst ones I've been in, is because the enemy hates what I'm doing. He he doesn't want me to, to preach the Word anymore. He would love to silence any inkling that I might be used from God. And so some of those storms come that way. But you are going to have storms, whether they're caused by you or caused by him. So don't think that the storms are something new to you. We all go through storms. I talk to people in stormy seas every single day. I I talk to people who believe the waves are coming over the bow and they're going to die virtually every day. Hardly a day goes by when I don't talk to somebody who's reached their wit's end. And it's at your wit's end that you find your faith place. That's what happens when you really seek the Lord. Sometimes I look at those storms and I, I thank God for storms. I thank God for the rough spots. Interesting little bit of tid, a little trivia for you. The, the game of golf's been around for a long time. When they first invented golf balls, they were actually completely smooth. For those of you who know anything about a golf ball, they have little tiny dimples all over them, and now they've gotten really high-tech with placing the dimples in lots of different patterns and those types of things. Well, the reason they did that is that they found that smooth golf balls actually had more surface resistance to them so they didn't travel as far. It was the roughing of the golf ball that made them go further. Maybe in your life you need your golf ball roughed up a little bit. (laughs) It's the same reason that our Olympic swimmers wear suits now that actually have little shark skin patterns on them. They found out that it breaks up the drag on the suit by having a little roughness to it. Sometimes we get drugged down in our lives because everything is too smooth. We're no longer looking for God to do new things in our lives, and so that smoothness actually holds us back. And then all of a sudden, a rough spot comes. And that's what propels you forward to that next leap of faith that you need to make. You see, sometimes you need that. And when you read these things and you look at Peter's life, some people will say, well, why did he leave that out? Look, there, there's so many things that happened in this. Jesus immediately stills the storm. He instantaneously puts the boat on the other shore. And here Peter, in the midst of this, is this kind of example of both what to do and what not to do. And I love the fact that Peter's part is there in Matthew's Gospel. Because I can identify with it. 
there are times when I just, honestly, God's given me the gift of faith at times. I just like, I can just step out. I don't know how, and I do it. But here's the sad part. I can watch him do that, and then a week later, something of far less significance comes up, and I go, I don't know about that, God. Let me give you an area where that happens. In trusting my own children to the Lord. Anybody struggle with trusting your own children to the Lord? It's hard, isn't it? Maybe some of you, if you have that gift, could you please share it with the rest of us? I have a tough time. Oh, I can trust God for being in some foreign country, like send me to Iran. I don't, you know, whatever. I'm old. I could die. I go home and be with Jesus. But man, my children, my son Austin left last night. And as he's going out to drive, he's been sick the whole time that he was at our house. And he gets in his car, and the first thing that happens, he's going to die in an accident. He's never going to make it home. That was the attack of the enemy. And the first thing, no, that's not, that's from the enemy. And then I dwell on it for a couple of minutes. And it's like, maybe that was a word from the Lord. It's like, it's going to help me somehow. You see, fear is the absence of faith. We have to get this, family. The enemy wants to pressure you underneath a bucket of fear. He wants you to just freak out and start not trusting God. And so I just had to sit there and like, Lord, he's yours. And if you take him home, I know where he's going. And you know what happened? Immediately. The storm was calmed. But there for a minute, an old storm came rolling right back in. It happens. Do not let fear quench your faith. You fight back. See, Lord, I'm stepping out of the boat. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know who you are. And I trust you. You see, Peter was that kind of guy, very high and sometimes very low. But what a beautiful picture of some of us. You see this place when you think about it. I'll give you a little visual picture here. The Sea of Galilee, they were over past Capernaum. They're going across the north edge of the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River comes in on that end. Mount Hermon, nearly 10,000 feet tall, is less than 30 miles away. And the Mediterranean Sea, less than 30 miles away. Very deep canyon, the cliffs of Arbel. And so these winds, catabolic winds, would just come ripping down through these canyons. Still does it today. That's a lake that's only 13 miles long, and yet the highest wind waves that have ever been recorded on it, in excess of 15 feet high. That would be over the top of my head where I am currently standing. Now imagine that on a lake that's a little smaller than Lake Tahoe. You, you see, this was a situation they could do nothing about. And it was a normal thing that happened. So you could have gotten confused. You, you could have become overwhelmed with just the facts. You, you could have looked at it, well, this is just, you know, we just made a dumb decision. When in fact, the Lord Jesus told them, made them, forced them, pushed them, coerced them, told them in no uncertain terms, hey guys, get in the boat. He put them in harm's way. 
because they needed this particular lesson. Don't disrespect the lessons that God's trying to to give you. Look for ways that God can use a a storm in your life, a windstorm in your life, waves in your life. Jesus is always on time, family. He's never late. But here's the sick part. He's never early either. (laughs) He lets you go through as much drowning as you personally need. As much getting soaked to the bone as you really need. As much of thinking, oh no, I'm going to die, as you really need. You see, that's what He does in all of our lives. He puts you in a boat that you are not sufficient for, and then He sends a storm that pushes you right to the edge of anything that you can do. And, And family, maybe that comes and some phobia maybe it's like me it's just you worry about your kids and I don't care how old they get I don't know how old you have to get before you stop worrying about your kids because my parents tell me they worry about me still and we can both qualify for social security (laughs) don't figure that one out He's always on time. And so what does he say to them? He literally says, I am is with you. He uses the covenant name for God. He basically says, it's me, Yahweh. That is the answer. That's the answer. The answer is, he is with you. And he's always there. Some of those storms that are physical storms, the the real storm is the one that that blew through your heart, blew through your mind. Not just the circumstances, it's how you think about it. It's how you remember it. You see, they they absolutely believed they were going to drown. And I've absolutely had those fears. It's like, oh no, please dear God. I mean... I don't know if you ever do this, but I I even run through the full emotions of what would happen if. Anybody ever do that? Oh no. Get so far down the road, you've already, you know, you're planning the memorial service for your children. I don't mean to mock that. That's, That's a reality. You let the enemy dig in so hard that he's just like beating you. You are almost done. And then you, it's like, That's from the pit of hell. That's not from you, Lord. That's where I need that extra faith. Some truths come out of this. Some truths come out of this, folks. And I pray they're truths that really minister to you. God's got the knowledge. He has foreknowledge of every single storm. Every storm, no matter how strong it's blowing in your life today, maybe it's financial, maybe it's provisional, maybe it is taxes, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your job, perhaps it's your health. It it, it could be a literal storm. Maybe you're one of those people that you just are prone to worry. Can I please tell you that God absolutely has knowledge of every storm before you ever see the first wind? 
Amen? And secondarily, he's got a plan for that storm. You're never going to have a storm that he is unable to cope with. No wind will blow through your life that he is not able to still. No temptation will ever befall you, but that which is common to man, and in it, there is a way of escape. You're not going to go through something that's going to overtake you in totality. Because your Bible says so. That's our God. Now that's not saying that you won't get wet at times. That's not saying that you aren't going to be spitting out lungfuls of water every once in a while. That's not saying that you aren't going to be looking at the sky one time and the waves the next. That's saying that in every single storm, God has a plan. Every storm. Every storm. You just need to cry out to Him in that storm. You need to reach out to Him in that storm. And you need to trust Him in that storm. Because He's the only answer to your storm. All He does is get in the boat. That's why we're supposed to be anxious for nothing. Amen? And by prayer and through supplication, we make our request known to God. And it is the peace of God. The same peace be still. Is your peace. Is my peace. It's not peace from the storm. It's peace in the storm. He's the one that can calm it. He's the one that can quiet it. So as we look forward to this new year, Jesus is saying to you, do not be afraid. I am is with you. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that promise. Because you're going to have a storm. But He's overcome it. He's got a plan in it. He knows how to deliver you from it. And just like the disciples, you have to get this. You have to grab the picture. Here these guys, they're dripping wet. They're spitting out water. Their clothes are saturated. They're sitting there in the boat. And that's the picture. You can almost see Jesus going, what storm? What are you talking about, Jeff? I had that storm all along. You might want to dry off and get ready because you might have another one tomorrow, but I got this. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. As we start this new year, Trust Him. Lean on Him. Cry out to Him. Invite Him into your storms. Look for Him in your storms. And trust Him. Father, thank You. Thank You. 
that through you we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, there's no storm in our lives that you're not aware of. No storm that you're not great enough to conquer. Lord, increase our faith. Give us the faith to believe in each storm, Lord, that you're right over the horizon, that that placid water is going to come. It may be when we get to heaven, but you do have it under control. And we thank you for that, Lord. Give us peace in the midst of the storm as you did the disciples. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.